0: So we're going to get into some teaching now, this eighth part of this eight-part series. So this is the end of our prayer series. Um, we set out to do five weeks on prayer and specifically on the questions y'all ask about prayer. We asked for your questions. Remember that? It feels, feels like ages ago, but you kept sending questions. And so we felt like four weeks, five weeks, not enough. So we extended it to eight, and here we are. Before we get into this teaching, I just wanted to get you thinking about something is pretty simple, but maybe you haven't done an exercise like this in a while. I want you to think about the experiential difference on a gut level between doing something you have to do versus doing something you want to do. Can you sort of feel that difference? Like, give me an example. Somebody just shout something out, this week you had to do. You did it because you had to do it. Clean the house. What would you say? Score. Score. School. School. Okay, thank God. School. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was going to do. School, clean the house. <laughs> things like that. All right. So things we have to do. All right. I'm the most awkward person alive. You'll, you'll learn if you're not i haven't been here before. Um, so, those are things we have to do. How did it feel to do those things that you had to do? I mean, not good, right? It felt obligatory. It felt like you had no choice. It felt mandatory. <laughs> like, I gotta do this or else there's gonna be worse consequences to pay than even doing this, right, this week. I spent what felt like 36 and a half hours on the phone with insurance agents because my homeowner's insurance policy decided my home is unworthy of their service (laughs) because I have what they call a dangerous sidewalk. I don't really see it, but it's a judgment call. So I had to hustle and find new insurance. I screamed representative into my phone 4,700 times. And that was not something I wanted to do. It was something I had to do because you can't go without homeowners insurance in Houston, Texas. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Anybody live in one of those areas? (laughs) I don't even want to say it. Too soon. All right. So you got to have insurance. I had to do it. So I did it, and I gutted it out, and I hated it, but I knew I had to do it. It was not a good feeling. Now think about one thing you did this week that you wanted to do. Keep it clean. Something. Astros, I didn't ask, but thank you for telling me. So I, I'm with you in that. Rolling Stones. Really, Bonnie? Rolling Stones. All right. Came to church because, hey, A-plus, gold star, (laughs) because he wanted to. All right. So how does it feel when you get to do something you really want to do? So good. Those moments are so few and far between. Thursday night, after an unseasonably cool Thursday in July in Houston, Texas, relative to how that usually goes. It was like 96 degrees instead of 106. It was awesome. And I got on my back porch. I would have hung out on the front porch, but I didn't want to see that sidewalk. So I hung out on the back porch. And I read a book as the sun went down. And I had a Topo Chico in one hand. And I'll be honest. I had a Dominican cigar in the other. Are you judging me right now? (laughs) I wanted to do all those things, and it felt really good. It was the highlight of my week. You know, it was something I really wanted, and I just leaned right into it. It felt like freedom. It felt like joy. The question that we're going to tackle with this eighth part of this eight week series on prayer a question that several of you sent in in different forms slightly different forms has to do something with praying without ceasing how are we really supposed to pray without ceasing as the bible says in first thessalonians chapter five are we really supposed to pray that much because i'll be honest pastor eric that feels like a little much I've got other things to do. I'd like to know how much is enough so I can check that box and feel good about my prayer life and get on with the rest of of my life. And it it became pretty clear to me by the the way I was getting this question, my own experience as well with this question became very clear to me that this question comes from a place of prayer being firmly in the have-to box instead of the want to box. And I sense that many people who ask questions like this one today probably ask that question because of some past trauma they experienced in the Bible (laughs) Belt. Growing up in church, being told like I was growing up that the Bible says, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. How much do you pray, Eric? Well, I pray when I get up and when I go to bed at night and when I pray before all the meals of every day. And, and is that enough? No, it's not enough. <laughs> you cease to pray at least five times a day. You know, what the Bible says, pray without ceasing. And so you're falling short of that expectation. And so I always had this feeling in my head that I was doing it wrong. And prayer was not something that I entered into joyfully. (laughs) Prayer was something that I entered into like you enter the DMV. Gotta get it done. Gotta do it, they told me I gotta do it. Or there's worse consequences to pay. (laughs) And so I'll do it. And that's how many of us grow up thinking about prayer, as though it is basically, uh, you know, a box to check, and, uh, and you know, that's kind of that shame-guilt-driven view of prayer is what we grew up with. So uh, the question, sort of derivative of the should we pray without ceasing, is how much should we pray? How much is enough? And this um, notion of prayer without ceasing, it comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, which is Paul's first letter to this church in a city called Thessalonica. And in this letter, he says toward the end of it, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, three things. Rejoice always, that's verse 16. Pray continually, that's verse 17. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's verse 18. So Paul, clearly a preacher. Three points. Three, three digestible points. He says, take joy, always pray, and give thanks. And he says, this is God's will for your life. And he creates, in this simple passage, a connection, a relationship between joy, gratitude, and prayer that I think should not be lost on us today, but often is, shouldn't be. This isn't the only time he creates this connection. He does it all the time. He does it like 10 times in 1 Thessalonians alone. Paul kind of has a reputation for being a little cranky. I don't know if you've noticed. Paul can be a little, a little cantankerous, a little, some people think he's judgy, you know, a little. a little hard to read, a little on edge sometimes. If you read First Thessalonians, you will think Paul is the nicest man you have ever met. Like he gushes ad nauseum about these people. I remember the time we spent together, you guys. And I love you. And I think about you all the time. And I'm always hearing good things about you. And I thank God for you every time that I pray. He encourages them again, again, and again. And then he ends the letter by saying, hey, hey, here's God's will for you. Take joy, that's literally what rejoice means. Take joy. Pray continually, which is often translated as pray without ceasing. And give thanks in every circumstance. He says, this is God's will for you. Someone uh, recently asked me a question that really kind of stumped me, and I've been thinking about it ever since. And it's really not that interesting of a question. It doesn't really demand this kind of attention from me. But I had no answer to this very seemingly simple question. Here's the question. They said, are you enjoying your faith? I had no idea what to say. (laughs) Am I enjoying my faith? I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to say, yes, I know that. But I'm not one for pat answers, and so I just paused. And I thought, there's things I enjoy, y'all. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy my kids. I enjoy my church. I enjoy my job. I enjoy Astros baseball. Whoever said that earlier, I'm with you. Steve, love you, brother. (laughs) Sorry I was rude to you earlier. (laughs) I enjoy those things. I'm not sure I've ever thought about enjoying my faith. I work on my faith. I wrestle with my faith. I struggle with my faith. Enjoy? I don't know. And then I kept thinking, hmm, work, wrestle, struggle. Those are the words I would use to describe my conversations with those insurance agents this week. That was a struggle. That was work. I wrestled with them. I got coverage, by the way. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. All right, so. Uh, Do I enjoy my faith? Paul says that taking joy in Christ is God's will for your life. Let that soak in for a second. How often do we wonder and like wring our hands and like search for God's will for our lives? What do you want me to do, God? Am I in the right job? Am I parenting the right way? Am I going to the right church? Am I praying enough? What's your will for my life? Paul says, as far as God is concerned, his will for your life is to take joy. Take joy joy in him. Pray continually and be grateful in all things. That is pretty awesome. The connection between joy, prayer, and gratitude. It is not, however, how many of us were raised to think about prayer. And some of us have to deconstruct that obligatory religion-based Approach to prayer, where you have to pray, you gotta get it done, you gotta check the box, you gotta do what's right, because if you don't pray enough, you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you know what happens to sinners. So get on your knees again, start praying again, pray more than you've ever prayed before. Otherwise, who knows? Some of us have to, I think, distance ourselves from the religion of our youth to prepare our hearts to receive what God really came to give us in Jesus, which is so much better than religion. It's gospel. Apparently it's joy, even though many of us have not yet discovered what that even means, all right? So God wants to give you joy. I talked a lot in the winter and the spring about joy versus happiness, and I don't want to beat that into the ground, but there's a difference, and it's important to know. This isn't God's will for your life. is isn't that you're happy, but that you are joyful. Happiness, as we determined earlier this year, is based on your circumstances, right? So stuff makes you happy. Circumstances make you happy. Getting that job makes you happy. The right people around you make you happy. My wife makes me happy. All this stuff. But when circumstances change, happiness changes. Joy is not like that. Joy is a deeper, more abiding experience that is unconditional. The best definition, I've decided this is the best definition, even though when I first saw this definition, I hated it, honestly, (laughs) because I'm too cynical sometimes. This is a definition of Christian joy that was given um, by a pastor that I follow online who I'm deeply envious of. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm so envious. So this is what he said Christian joy is. He said it is a sensation of the soul given by the Holy Spirit as he opens our eyes to see the goodness and beauty of Christ in his word and in his world. At first when I heard it's a sensation of the soul I rolled my eyes and was like that's ridiculous and then I thought no that's exactly what joy is <laughs> it is an experience it is a feeling that bubbles up deep within but it's not like happiness in that it is circumstantial it is a gift from the holy spirit to us Jesus says as much in John chapter 15 verse 11 he says everything i came to do. Everything I taught you was so that you would have my joy and and joy would be fulfilled in you. Your joy may be full. Listen, this is why Jesus came. This is supposed to be what Christians are all about. Deep, abiding, unconditional joy. Which is why it's so shocking sometimes when you look at Christians and Christianity and it's such a joyless thing sometimes, like especially when it's time to pray. Are we ever more devoid of joy than when somebody goes, let us pray? Everybody closes their eyes and tries not to fall asleep and (laughs) you're like holding hands and like, how long, oh Lord, how long will this last? Let us pray. Nobody laugh. If a, if a child laughs during a prayer, they might as well have horns. It's like, oh, shut up. Be quiet. We're praying. There's no joy at all. Somebody liked that one. So thank you, Mary Catherine. So where is the joy? The joy is taken from us when we choose religion over gospel, when we choose legalism over love. And that's exactly what happens to some of us, but I want us to know today, according to the Word, the good and beautiful Word of God, God's will for your life is joy, taking joy in Christ. So here's what that has to say about prayer. I look at prayer as um, kind of a journey of faith. So prayer is kind of your faith in action, and as your faith develops, your prayer life evolves. That's what happens. You shouldn't be praying the same way a year from now that you're praying today. There's a process. There's growth. And whenever you're on a journey, even if you're not to the destination yet, it always helps to know where you're going, what the destination is. And I think what Paul and Jesus himself are doing in the New Testament is showing us that the destination of your journey in prayer is joy. And you may not be there yet, but at least you know where this is headed. And I uh, offered up in your study guide some, um, like a graph with a bunch of blanks in it, and I'm just going to share like some plot points along that journey that I've experienced myself and that I've seen others experiencing as well. And, And you might find yourself early on in this process, and there's no judgment here. I just want you to know where if you gut it out and you have discipline and you continue to pray in the season you're in, where you will go next, where prayer will take you. The first plot point on this journey, this map that we navigate through prayer, is usually petition. Petition is what we started this series with. It was like, what do we ask God for? What should we be asking God for? Those are petition prayers, right? So God, I need this. God, will you do that? God, please, I'm desperate. Like, those kinds of prayers are usually the entry point into your prayer journey. But you don't just pray petition prayers your whole life, right? Right? Those petition prayers, they grow, they mature. As you have greater faith, your prayers change, right? You don't stop petitioning God as you evolve, but your petitions change too. Your petitions will lead to what I call surrender, And so you might spend the first part of your journey asking God, God, I need this, God, I need that, God, please show up, God, I'm desperate. And then one day you find your faith and your trust in God maturing to the point where you go, I'm desperate, I need this, please do this, but not your, not my will, but yours be done. And that's where you surrender to God. You continue to ask, but you surrender to God like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the next level up in your life of prayer. But surrender will, if you stay with it, even when it feels like a have to instead of a want to, which it will, but if you stay with it and stay disciplined and stay in touch with God, your surrender will give way to lament. Lamentation is what we talked about last week, which is not like asking for petitions from God. Lamentation is just what? Remember the word? I said it last week. Lamentation is just complaining. Excellent, whoever you are. And who said it? Whoop, whoop. All right, you. All right, complaining. And so complaining is just, hey, God, this really hurts. I'm hurting. And I just wanted you to know. And some of you might be tempted to put lamentation back before petition because it seems like something a really immature person would do, just complaining all the time. Nah, nah, what an nag. Like that kind of thing. No. When you complain to God just so he knows, it shows how deep you trust him. It's an act of faith because you know he wants to know your heart and minister to you. And so you open up to him. Lamentation is the next step. I'm hurting, Lord. And then lamentation gives way to listening. I couldn't think of a good example prayer for listening because you're supposed to not say anything while you're listening. That's the point. But when you listen, your heart grows deeper in love and in faith. And listening often grows into gratitude because when you stop and take the time to listen, you realize either by the Holy Spirit speaking to you or giving you a feeling in your heart or by stopping and just looking around you, you realize what a gift life has been all along. Listening gives way to gratitude and gratitude gives way to joy. Gratitude is thank you for being so good to me. And joy is simply, oh my God, how awesome are you? Gratitude, gratitude gives way to joy and joy is just pure worship. Oh my God. And even as you grow to joy, you continue to pray in all the other ways, but you mature. Some of you will mature into intercession. Some of you will mature in this journey of prayer to the point where you're no longer just petitioning God for yourself, you're petitioning God on behalf of other people. And there are people in this room right now, you don't even know it, but they're petitioning God on your behalf when you are not even praying. They're praying for you. They're lamenting for you. They're grateful for you. They're joyful for you. Intercessors are vital to the life of any community because we can't always be strong enough to pray for ourselves. So how then? How does this happen? Some of you, I think, at this point in the sermon, if I were you, let's say seven years ago, I'd be sitting in a sermon like this going, this feels a lot like the saccharine kind of tell them what they want to hear so they'll give more money kind of sermon. Like, yeah, yeah, God wants you happy. Ah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's what I was hoping to hear today. Like, that's not this, all right? This is so much more profound than that. I'm saying God created you for joy even when your life feels like hell. He created you for joy. And the way that this happens is that as you go along this journey that we just talked through, as you open your ears and your heart to the Holy Spirit, He lets you in on a few little secrets. Secrets that you've heard but not believed. Secrets that you've heard Christians say but rolled your eyes about. He lets you in on secrets like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. It really is. Hey, it's not up to you to make everything okay. Hey, it's all going to be okay, and it's not all up to you. And hey, by the way, God really, really loves you not just because it's a touchy-feely thing to say and, oh, isn't that nice? No, God really loves you more than you know. And God did crazy stuff like creating laughter. He created your goofy little snort laugh because he wants to hear it. He wants to hear you laugh, Mary Catherine. Like he wants to hear it. He created it because he loves hearing your laugh. He loves your joy. He invented laughter for that purpose. So seriously, stop rolling your eyes about it. Like, stop being cynical. He loves to hear you laugh. He even loved to hear you laugh that time you snorted Topo Chico out of your nose because you laughed so hard, right? But seriously, (laughs) it's all going to be okay. Take joy. Take joy. It's all going to be okay. I remember my life before Jesus. It wasn't that long ago. It was uh, six and a half years ago. And I didn't like myself then. And I just remember always being angry. I know it's a little... Hard to picture for some of you, but like I was always angry and I was always anxious and I always wore a lot of black. And I look back, this is true, I look back at pictures of myself, right? And there's just no life in the eyes. And it breaks my heart to see this guy. I kind of feel sorry for him. Even though it's me, it's a weird kind of deal. But I was in that moment of my life, I was a proud social justice warrior which means I was miserable all the time. And I I made everybody else miserable too because there's always something to be angry about. I always got angry. I even remember getting angry at stupid things like CVS for their long receipts. Thanks for ruining the earth, CVS. Like I spent real energy on that. I'd always get angry at Christians. I was constantly angry at Christians. I don't really know why. I think I was working through some childhood stuff. But, like, I was always angry at Christians. And I always heard Christians say stuff like, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And I'd be like, give me a break. <laughs> like, what world are these people living in? Like they're sheltered or willfully ignorant or something, like... I'm too blessed to be depressed. Come on. Like, really? Like, don't I used to give my friend, my other social justice, 4 of your friends, we had a great time. And I used to get around and complain about Christians. And don't they know the sky is literally falling from the earth? Like we're we're falling apart and the world's on fire. Don't they know George W. Bush is the most obscene president we'll ever have? Like all these things, like it's a complicated time. Those, however, turned out to be the good old days. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, okay. Don't Christians know how bad things are? Don't they know Dick Cheney went on a hunting trip and shot his friend in the face? Don't they know we still haven't found those weapons of mass destruction? Like, don't they know how Bad and evil and hopeless, the world is like, are these eggs even local? You know? (laughs) Why did you torture these eggs mama in a cage? Why? Like, it was always something. I was never, ever content or joyful. But I know now, looking back, it was never really about CVS or W. Never really about Christians, or chicken, or anything else. It was just me. I was empty inside. And six and a half years ago, as many of you know, I took a trip to the Holy Land. I was given a free trip. And after a week of being presented with really solid evidence, not only for the existence of Jesus, but for his a certain like crucifixion that actually happened in history i learned on that trip and nobody really doubts it and uh then there's all kinds of evidence for the resurrection and the fact that these first century jews were worshiping a man which is the last thing that any faithful jew would do in the first century you only worship god what did what did they think was going on here why were they willing to die for that it's just a bizarre turn of events and it started to break me down right it started to kind of work on me A little bit. And finally, when we went to the city, the old ancient ruins of Capernaum, and my tour group went over one way, I broke off from the tour and went for a little walk along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and God and I had a little talk. For the first time in over 10 years, we really had a talk. And I spoke, and he spoke, and I listened. And I wept, like I really cried, like people must have seen me, and worried (laughs) because I was by myself (laughs) next to this huge body of water, weeping. But it wasn't sorrow, or shame, or guilt. The joy was too much to take. It overwhelmed me, the relief that my soul had thirsted for came rushing upon me and I just didn't know how to handle it. And so it manifested in the form of tears. When I got home a few days later, Giovanna, my wife, picked me up from the airport. As soon as I hopped in the car, she looked at me and she said, what happened to you? And I said, what is there, like something on my face? It was a long flight, I don't know what happened, but she goes, no, you're just different. There's something different. And I know now that it was joy that she saw. Like the life that had been gone was back in my eyes. The life she saw back when she fell in love with me in the first place. When she married me, you know. It was back. It was like a little resurrection that had happened right then. Paul describes this very thing in Romans chapter 8. He describes exactly how this works. And again, he does it like a preacher in three easy steps. (laughs) This is Romans 8, 28 to 30, right? Y'all, this is three very important points. I'm going to break it down this way. 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Listen, what this means is that even when it's bad, and no matter how bad it is, God is always at work to turn whatever it is and however bad it is into something good for you, a good gift, even when it hurts. Two, for God, those God foreknew, he also predestined. Don't get too hung up on that word. I know some of us grew up in churches where that's all you talked about, but like that's not what it sounds like here. He's saying that there were some people God Um, knew, that God knew us before we even breathed our first breath. He knew us in our mother's wombs. He loved us and called us. And he saw our destiny before we breathed our first breath. He said we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So there's words like For new and predestined. Those words mean that when God gives you this good gift, nothing can take it away. No bad circumstances, no turn of events, no job loss, no relationship or marriage falling apart, no loss or grief can tear it away from you. That gift if you will have it, is yours forever, unconditionally. And third, he says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So y'all hang with me here. These are big words. But listen, justified, that is what happened to me on the shoreline in Galilee. That moment, that was God justifying me. By his righteousness, not mine. Making me his, even though I didn't deserve it. Justified. This glorified business is a whole different deal. Glorified in the Bible is almost always a vision of the future. Something that God is yet to do. We will be glorified. His kingdom will come in its fullness. And his glory will be known on the earth as it is in heaven. And so glorified is about what God is yet to do. So, here we go. Even when it's bad, God's working for good. When God gives you good gifts and you receive them, they're yours and nothing can take them away from you. And even when his gifts feel like the best thing ever, he's about to do something even better. That is where our joy resides. That is why we delight in him. That is why we take joy in him, right? That is why we laugh even when things aren't great around us. That is why when I saw this meme this week, I lost it, I laughed so hard about the sun being approximately eight CVS receipts from the earth that Tobo Chico spewed out of my nose On my back porch like that's how I laughed and listen it's not because I don't care about the environment anymore please don't pass that judgment on me I'm every bit the environmentalist I love creation every bit as much now as I ever did before but I love and care for creation now because I want to and not because I have to because I love creation not because everybody else is watching to see whether I get paper or plastic or whether I brought my own bags like all those games It's over, because this joy is legit, and that's what joy does. Joy is what makes nights like last night so special when we celebrated the wedding of Nathan, our worship leader, to his bride, Gretchen. Listen, uh, we talk a lot about Nathan's smile here at the story. We embarrass him a lot, because he has the brightest smile you've ever seen in your life, If you think he smiles big and bright here at the store, you should have seen him yesterday. I know! (laughs) When his bride walked through those doors, he glowed in some kind of glory. And it reminds me, every time that happens, at every wedding I'm a part of, it reminds me that that look of groom gives his bride is something like, it's a foretaste of the look that Jesus is going to give his bride in glory. His bride is us, the church, who receive his good gifts and wait for something even better yet to come. That is why we celebrate. This morning, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning, couldn't sleep. Kind of had a rough week. Had a lot of intercessors that were like sending me text messages and checking in on me. I really appreciated that. Showed me how the Holy Spirit communicates in back channels. It was awesome. Woke up at 3.30. Opened my computer. 15 minutes later, I was crying again. I promise I don't cry that much. But I was crying again. And it's because I was watching this judge on Facebook. This is weird, but he's from Providence, Rhode Island. His name is Judge Caprio. it's called caught in providence and they never they never like charge people any money for their crimes i'm not even sure how providence pays its bills because all this judge does is he watches the cam footage of somebody breaking the law and then he hears their story and then he says you're free to go and there was a woman on there this morning who was there with her daughter she didn't speak any english and she had a headscarf on her head and her daughter, who was like 17, explained, "Uh, my mom ran this red light when she was on her way to her last radiation treatment. She has breast cancer. Can you forgive us? Judge Caprio said, whenever I hear a case, I always try to hear the facts with the ears of the one on trial. He said, I've heard this story, and you are forgiven. And he started to tear up. And then I thought about my mom, obviously, who's battling cancer, whose hair started falling out, and she and my dad shaved their heads this morning. And I started to weep. But something's different now this news is hitting me different now than it would have seven years ago. Because even now I don't weep purely out of sorrow and hopelessness. I weep for joy, for all he has done, every gift he has given, and for what he is about to do when he unites you and me, Judge Caprio, and my mom in glory forever. That's the heart of joy. That is why we pray without ceasing. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because through it all, and I cannot believe I'm about to say this, through every circumstance, y'all, God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. What has happened to me? Who am I? I wanted to end this email, uh, this uh, message with an email that I received um, from a member of this congregation. I thought this was a great way to round out this series. And uh, her name is Brenda. And Brenda, I'm so grateful for your witness. This is what Brenda said about her life in prayer. Why do I pray? This is why. I'm nearing my mid-40s and in this short lifetime I've experienced parental abandonment, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, poverty, Suicide attempt, adopted my youngest sister at 18, infertility, mother's cancer, daughter's chronic illness, daughter's long term hospital stay, divorce, three floods, PTSD, death in the family, estrangement from family and friends, gave up my dream job for my family. And after all that, you may ask how I survived. How have I carried on a positive and impactful life in which I was able to complete grad school twice, attain my dream job of school administrator in an underserved community, assist my chronically ill child to beat the odds and attend a normal school even with half a heart, and grow my family by remarrying and conceiving a third child, and last but not least, having a fruitful life today, a committed village, and being the person that I am by praying, big and deep and always. God provides a promise to comfort, accompany, believe, and trust me. For someone functioning in a world with no real parents, God has truly been my one and only father, my constant, my ride or die. Thank you, Brenda, for that line. I I love it. Honestly, I know no human who can make me feel the same way, and I know and have known a lot of good humans. My hope with your series is that you will convince me to pray. It's not that you will convince me to pray, but that you will not say it's all for nothing or dismantle it in ways I won't be able to piece back together because if you did, that would be like cutting me off at the knees. It would immobilize my head, spirit, and hope. You see, I can't afford to go one day without my daily chats with God. It's quite the dialogue, even if it's me doing most of the talking. (laughs) What I do know is that I wasn't promised a perfect life. I'm not resentful in any, of any one thing on my list provided above. But I can't have a perfect relationship with God if I want it. And there's nothing I want more. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being patient with us, even when we don't quite get it yet, when we must be... Uh, Hard to take when we're deep in our self-absorption or in our self-loathing, in our times of darkness and anger and angst. God, thank you for constantly pursuing us, going after us, chasing us, just tirelessly wanting us, God. Thank you for not giving up on us. God, in response to your steadfast mercy and grace, we offer up our hearts. Though they are broken and empty in some places, we offer them up to you so that your joy might fill up our empty places, full to overflowing, because you are a God who wants his people to know joy. Truly, that is why you created us, to be joyful in you. God, thank you for these brothers and sisters who are on this journey with me, God. Help us to continue to pray continually, to rejoice always, and to be grateful in every circumstance. Amen.